0: I would invite you to please stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together. We're going to read 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. We'll read through verse 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. may be seated. Father, thank you for your goodness to us this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. And our prayer is that you would come and be our teacher this morning. Give us receptive hearts. That we would receive your your truth with gratitude. We need your help to change. Make us more like Christ your son. We pray in his name amen. These, these recent days, perhaps the past couple of weeks, have been marked by significant change for, for many of you as students have returned to classrooms, right? College students are returning to campus, and uh, there's a sense of excitement, maybe for, for some, as you're thinking about school. Um, it's exciting at this point, right? At least initially. And, and you think about the prospect of, of the year ahead or, or maybe even the years that you have in front of you. You're eager to learn. And then for, for some, uh, you're, you're considering the reality that this, this may be the end of your, your formal education as you know it. And so you're, you're anticipating the year and then what may be ahead as you, as you think about entering into the workforce full time. And all the details of that transition. So whether, whether you're a, a young person, maybe just entering high school, or you're kind of wrapping up your, your college education, it's good and right to kind of stop and, and, and take stock of the situation you find yourself in. It's right for us to consider our circumstances. So the incoming freshman is, is thinking maybe like this. I, I have four years here. In high school there's some classes I know I need to take and and pass uh, I'm looking forward to driving and so I need to to be prepared for that and there's some extracurricular activities I'd like to be a part of and uh, there's relationships I want to build and so it's good and right what what will be required for me Uh, to do in order to take advantage of these opportunities I have before us oftentimes students will talk to a guidance counselor and a good a good guidance counselor will will come alongside the student and and kind of help them lay out a plan here's what you need to do here are the classes you need to take to pursue this particular path We, we might say that an awareness of one's circumstances An awareness of one's circumstances should inform the way the person lives. This is applicable not only to the student, but to employers and employees in our careers, in our role as parents. An awareness of one's circumstances should inform the way that a person lives. And as we approach this section here in 1 Peter, we see that it, it begins with these words: the end of all things is at hand. And in with this phrase, Peter is setting the stage for the instruction that it is to follow. Peter with his pastoral heart is helping the people. Here's what you need to know about your circumstances. This is what you need to know. This is going to inform the way you are to live. And how he begins this section is by putting before these believers the reality that the end of all things is at hand. He's referring here to the final day, the day of of Christ's return. And throughout this, this letter, Peter calls us as readers to consider the reality of Christ's return. And the reality of the the imminence or or the nearness of Christ's return shapes the way that believers are to live. Throughout this letter, there's a a forward-looking emphasis, an anticipation of the glorious return of the Lord Jesus Christ. For example, back in chapter 1, Peter Peter begins by talking about the eternal inheritance of that is every believer's. Right? It's an inheritance that's imperishable and undefiled and unfading. And he calls the readers then to set their hope on the grace that, they will, that will be theirs when, when Christ returns. And a bit later, Peter encourages the readers even to rejoice in their sufferings to rejoice even in their sufferings for the sake of Christ, that they may rejoice when his glory is revealed. So there's this, there's this forward-looking emphasis in this letter. There's a sense in which every believer will one day say, ah, it was worth it, right? This, this difficult life that we've been called to endure for the name of Christ, one day we will say, it was worth it. An awareness of our circumstances An awareness of our circumstances informs the way we live. So with this phrase, the end of all things is at hand, Peter is setting the stage for these readers and for us as well. He's setting the stage for the instruction that follows. And the first thing to note following this introduction is this, because the end is near, we must be self-controlled and sober-minded. Because the end is near, we should be self-controlled and sober-minded. Specifically, believers are to be this way in our prayers. Right? In other words, our, our prayers should be shaped by or informed by the fact that the end is near. Right? Christ will return, and so in light of this reality, we're called to uh, to self control and and to sober mindedness in our prayers. We might say we're we're called to uh, being spiritually alert. Spiritually alert in our prayers, Paul wrote to the Ephesians and, and instructed them to be alert in their prayers. And then he wrote to the Colossians and said, be watchful in your prayers. And, and Peter is saying something similar here when he says, be self-controlled and sober-minded. These, these words self-control and sober-minded, they have, they have similar meaning we could say something, the words mean something like, keep your head. Keep your head. Some have translated it to say, be sane and clear-headed. Be sane and clear-headed. As followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are to keep our head. We're to keep our head and, and see things for the way they truly are. I had a seminary professor who would, who would often use this phrase, think God's thoughts after him. We're to think God's thoughts after him. That's another way to say we're to see things for the way they truly are. Since God is the God of truth, God is the creator, he knows all things, And so if we are to to understand things the way they truly are, we're to think like him, to think God's thoughts after him. There's a certain sobriety, a certain clear-headedness that characterizes the mature believer as, as we see things for the way they truly are. We recognize that our time on earth is short. That's reality. We know that one day the world will come to an end. We know that Christ is going to return to judge the world. And that he's going to gather all of his saints together. And we will spend eternity in his presence. That's the way things really are the mature believer's heart breaks. Our hearts break knowing that many are living as if Christ weren't going to return. People are living in a way as if God didn't see, as if God didn't know. And a believer who is self-controlled and sober-minded looks at his own heart and sees his own propensity to wander from the God he loves. The mature believer falls on his knees and cries out to his God. This kind of self-control and sober-mindedness, says Peter, it's essential for prayer be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. And so it's right for us to stop and to ask, what informs my prayer life? How do I pray? Do I pray in such a way that I I recognize my circumstances in the the present with, with an eye to the future? Understanding the way things truly are, thinking God's thoughts after him, the call here for self-control and sobriety is for prayer, but but I also believe it it applies to all of our lives, right? To our lives as believers. We're we're to keep our head about life. The Olympics has, has recently come to an end. Right? So if you're able to to watch some of uh, some of the events and and now even even watching sports pick up in, in high schools and local schools, we're if you've participated in athletics or, or, you've, or you've watched them, you recognize that the physical ability of the athletes is, is part of the competition. Perhaps equally important is, is the mental aspect. The necessity for, for, the, for the athlete to keep their head. I remember having a a football coach in high school stressing to us the importance of keeping our head, right? Absolutely, we were to celebrate when someone had a great tackle or we, we, so we scored a touchdown, but then we were to come right back and focus on the task ahead of us, right? We fumble the ball and there's a turnover. Acknowledge it and come right back, right? This is a picture for how we ought to live our lives as believers, We're to keep our heads, to be self-controlled and sober-minded. Yes, we rejoice and we laugh and we enjoy the one million good things that our God gives us. We enjoy one another. And we weep and we groan over the, the brokenness we see out there and the remaining brokenness we see here. And through these highs and lows, we are called by God's grace to keep our heads. We live this way because we recognize that the end of all things is at hand. Not only are we called to be self-controlled and sober-minded, but we also must love one another. We must love one another. As the end approaches, Peter says, keep fervent love for one another. After all, loving, loving one another is, is a command of the Lord Jesus himself. Do you remember what he said to his, his disciples in John 13, 34, he says, a new commandment I give to you that you may love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Peter had previously instructed his readers, back in chapter one, to love one another from a pure heart. And then he said later, love the brotherhood. And now he says, keep loving one another earnestly. Keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. What's implied in this statement is that believers are going to sin against one another. Keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. We might say that the, the temperature, the temperature of the situation of the believers to whom Peter wrote was, was rising. though it's not likely that they were were enduring state-sponsored persecution, they were certainly enduring localized persecution. They were being mocked and marginalized for following the Lord Jesus. They were being mocked and marginalized because of their refusal to go back to the lifestyle that once characterized them, a lifestyle of, of indulgence. And so the the temperature of their circumstances was rising and Peter says to them, love one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. We know in our own experiences that when things are difficult, we tend to be short with one another. We tend to lash out at those whom we love. And so the instruction is the same for us today. As The circumstances heat up. We're called to keep loving one another. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. Peter's referring here to Proverbs 10.12. Proverbs 10.12 says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love says... My sins against God are incalculable. My sins against my God are incalculable, and yet my heavenly father, my heavenly father has forgiven me for those sins. And he's done so by by sending his one and only son. His one and only son, Jesus, who, who lived a perfect life who went to the cross and, and there he bore the punishment for sins that, that I deserved. And he died. And he rose again. And he said, Whoever believes in me will have life. Love says, I acknowledge my sin against my God, and yet he's wiped the slate clean. Peter says, and in chapter 3 and verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, the righteous for the unrighteous. And so as we consider the sins of others against us, we, we see the enormity of our sins first against our God, seeing Our God's kindness to wash us clean, and we extend that same kind of forgiveness and love for others. In that way, love covers a multitude of sins. When my brother or sister sins against me, I will let love cover. I won't hold this against him as a weapon. I won't harbor bitterness and unforgiveness against my brother or sister. Perhaps some of you are familiar with this book by Ken Sandy called The Peacemaker, a biblical guide to to resolving personal conflict. I believe our college ministry is working through this book on Thursday nights. I think what the author writes is helpful for us as we consider this, this command from Peter to keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Here's what the author says. To truly overlook an offense means to deliberately decide not to talk about it, dwell on it, or let it grow into pent-up bitterness. If you cannot let go of an offense in this way, if it's too serious to overlook, or if it continues as part of a pattern in the other person's life, then you will need to go and talk to the other person about it in a loving and constructive manner. Brothers and sisters, how liberating for us. How liberating when we let love cover a multitude of sins. This doesn't mean we don't talk to one another about sins that are committed. But it does mean that we are to let love cover sins. Someone says something unkind Or perhaps there's an accusation that's made that you feel is ungrounded. We'll let love cover. Think of the way that Christ deals with you. Think of his gentleness, think of his forgiveness, think of his long suffering. He calls us as his people to treat one another that way. Love one another earnestly, why? Love covers a multitude of sins Let's not nitpick one another. Let's not be harsh and critical with one another. Just last week, Daniel urged us, do you remember this? To continue as a church to be committed to both truth and peace. He said, let's pursue truth and let's pursue peace by God's grace. We pursue truth and peace by loving one another. If you're struggling to love your brother or sister, what do you do? My encouragement is to be, to, to you, is to, is to fix your eyes on the Savior. Turn back with me just a page in your Bible. Look at chapter 2. Look at chapter 2 and verse 22. Speaking about Christ, it says, He committed no sin. So, when we're struggling to show love to our brother or sister, fix your eyes on the Savior. Consider His love. Remember the reality that that we have been ransomed by the blood of Christ, He has set us free. For me not to love my brother is to deny the reality of what Christ has accomplished on my behalf on the cross. He bore our sins so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Our ability to love one another is not something we're able to do on our own. This is is spirit-empowered living. Living. One of the ways we demonstrate one another, love for one another then, is by showing hospitality. Because the end is near, we must show hospitality to one another. Hospitality is, is a mark of genuine Christianity. We read about it here in, in 1 Peter, but we can look elsewhere in the New Testament and see similar instruction, right? Paul told, uh, wrote, wrote in Romans 12, he said, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Elders are to be hospitable. And we're told in, in Hebrews thirteen two to not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. But here in 1 Peter, Peter's in, instructing the, 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 giving the instruction toward fellow believers. He says, show hospitality to one another. And then he adds this, without grumbling, right? He understands hospitality, showing hospitality is going to cost you something. Right? It's hard. And he says, do this without grumbling. Hospitality was especially important in the life of the early church. As the the church is is moving out through this region, sometimes believers needed a place to stay. And so this, this instruction for hospitality was especially important. Have people into your home. Serve them a meal. Give them a place to stay for the night. During the Great Awakening in America in the mid 1700s, these, these preachers, traveling preachers or itinerant preachers, would travel from town to town proclaiming the gospel. And perhaps the, one of the most well known preachers was, was a man named George Whitfield. And George would, would, would travel from town to town proclaiming Christ. And one of the places he stayed during his, his travels was was in the home of of Jonathan and Sarah Edwards. And on October 24th of 1740, Sarah Edwards wrote a letter to her brother James. She shared about the visit of Whitfield. Let me read to you what she wrote. She says, Dear Brother James, I want to prepare you for a visit from the Reverend Mr. Whitfield, the famous preacher of England. He has been sojourning with us and after visiting a few of the neighboring towns is going to New Haven and from thence to New York. And then she talks a little more in the letter, and and then she says, uh, he speaks from a heart aglow with love and pours out a torrent of eloquence which is almost irresistible. Many, very many persons in Northampton date the beginning of new thoughts, new desires, new purposes, and a new life from the day on which they heard him preach of Christ and this salvation." And then she, she brings a letter to a close like this. I wish him success in his apostolic career. And when he reaches New Haven, you will, I know, show him warm hospitality. Yours in faithful affection, Sarah. So after, after showing Whitfield hospitality, what does she do? She, she writes a letter to her brother, Knowing with certainty that he too would demonstrate warm hospitality. May we be people in 2021 who show warm hospitality to one another. Finally, because the end is near, Peter says, we are to serve one another. Please look with me at verse 10. has received a gift. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. So each person, you've received a gift, what are you to do with the gift? You're to use it to serve one another. Considering the grace of God to give each of us gifts should cause us to praise him. How good of God, how kind of our heavenly father to give us gifts, here is a manifestation of the goodness of our God. God in his infinite wisdom calls a people to himself. Think about what happens. The scripture tells us that there is none who does good, no, not one. It describes people, our natural condition, as enemies of God. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And what does God do? He calls a rebellious people to Himself. He takes the heart of stone and He replaces it with a heart of flesh. But that's not all He does. In His goodness, God gives to every believer His Spirit, He indwells the believer. He gives us a seal of eternal life. You're mine and I will keep you. But that's not all. He gives every believer gifts. Gifts to be used in the building up of the body. Peter touches on the spiritual gifts here. Paul tells us a lot about about spiritual gifts. We can look in in 1 Corinthians 12 for example. And and here Paul says speaking about spiritual gifts, he says, "All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills." And then a few verses later it says, "God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose." In other words, As God calls people into his body, into the body of Christ, he gifts each person in a unique way. Each person has been gifted in in a way that allows them, that enables them to be a a contributor to the overall functioning of the body. Do you see the wisdom of our God in this? We can look around the room and say, you know what, there's not one of us who is the same. Each of us is unique. And yet God has called us into one. He's made us one. Think about this. Very practically, what that means for you and I is that each of us have been given gifts uniquely designed by God for the building up of the body. Each of us are to be contributors to the whole. Consider Paul's words again to the Ephesians now. In chapter 4, he says, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Think about this. God has designed the body with a purpose. Each person has been uniquely gifted by God. And the result of when, when, each, when each member of the body is fulfilling their purpose, the result is a healthy, vibrant body. So I was thinking about these various parts working together towards the common end. I, I had to think about uh, various musical performances. Right? Um, the, the, the pride of the Southland band has represented the University of Tennessee for more than 150 years. Right? This, this band is made up of 340 students and they, they play at all the University of Tennessee home football games and they play at some of the away games and they play at the bowl games and Uh, They've even played for presidential inaugurations. Their performances are really remarkable to watch. What you notice is that there's over 300 300 people working together. It's not just their instruments that are coming together to produce this music that you hear, but you you notice that each member is is marching in step with one another, and and they do these, these complex and really remarkable things together. It's really great to see, right? Their performances are wonderful. And we say, why? What, what beauty, right? What beauty, what excellence, what precision, what harmony. How much more for the church of the living God. Observe the way that these people work together. Look at the way that these people love and care for one another. In in my role here at Bethany Community Church, I, I get to hear often about ways that people are caring for one another, often through the care group ministry. I want to encourage us as a church. Be encouraged by what the Lord is doing here at Bethany Community Church. People's physical needs are being cared for. But it's not just that. Their spiritual and emotional needs are being met by brothers and sisters who recognize the Lord has gifted me in this way. You know, I'm I'm not so good at doing this, but I can do this. And so we see this, this beautiful thing that the Lord is doing. He's bringing people together to love and to serve one another. Each of us contributes. Each person contributes to the body. And at the same time, each of us are are mutually dependent upon one another. Think about this. It's not just about me serving you to help meet your needs, it's about you serving me, serving one another. It's, It's mutual by God's good design. We, we talk about about being a member here, about the importance of membership in the body. That's a way for us to formally say, I'm committing to you and, and you're committing to me in our mutual care for one another to see the body grow up, to be built up according to God's good design. So since this is true, right? since this is true that that each of us are to serve one another and we are, we are dependent for others to, to serve us, right? To, for, for the growing up of the body. If that's true, can we not conclude that if we're not engaged in using the gifts we've been given by our heavenly father, the body of which we are members is not functioning according to God's good design. if we're not engaged in serving in the way that god has gifted us the body is not functioning according to god's good design there are many implications for us as we think about our giftedness i just want to encourage you in this our god makes no mistakes He's perfect in every way. And very practically, what that means is when he saved you and he called you into the body, he gave you the gifts he gave you with his purposes in mind. This should encourage us to serve in the way that we've been gifted. That we've been gifted. The word serve by its very definition shifts the focus from ourselves to others. Hear the words of the Lord as he spoke to his disciples in Mark. He said, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's our Savior. He came not to be served, but to serve. And and now he says, I've given you gifts as members of my body. Use them to serve one another and when you do so, I'll be glorified in that. Serve one another and I'll I'll get glory from that. Perhaps you've been a bit detached from the body. Maybe for a long time now, you, you felt detached from God's people. I want to encourage you Look at Christ. Fix your eyes on him first. Consider the servant heart of our Savior. See him laying down his life for us to redeem us. See the way he laid down his life for his followers. Fix your eyes on him. We have been called to love and to serve one another Here's the key, in the strength that God supplies. This is not something we do on our own. We're called to love and serve one another in the strength that God supplies so that God will be glorified in all things. When we began, we said that an awareness of one's circumstances, right? An awareness of our circumstances should inform the way that we live. It's good and right for us to consider where are we? Peter says the end of all things is at hand. By fixing our eyes on our Savior, we're able to see things for the way they truly are and to recognize that because the end is near, we must love and serve one another for the glory of God, the one to whom belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, you are worthy of our praise this morning. We thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for gifting each of us. And we look to you for strength to carry out our gifts. Father, will you help us to serve one another for your great namesake? We will look to you for strength and endurance to do that. Lord, will you help us to love one another, to let love cover a multitude of sins. We want to be a faithful witness of the kind of change that you alone are able to produce in the lives of your people. So will you help us to that end? We'll give you glory for it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Blake. As we
1: close this morning, we're going to sing a song, and then I'll invite you to, re- to remain in here as we're going to have a special time with some of our global friends that I reminded you. So let's stand together, sing a song, a Christian's daily prayer. Hands. Renew my spirit, help me stand, be glorified.